You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's episode, Life is Lovely. Friday. My friend Tucker's been feeling down lately, so I call him up to go for Suvlaki. Suvlaki's a great love of Tucker's, and so he's into it, thinking it might buoy his spirits. He says he's been filled with so much self-loathing lately that he's begun considering starting each day by spitting into his own coffee. To spite myself, he says. Tucker's self-revulsion might be a part of a growing cultural trend, one that can inspire whole new markets of enterprise. I can imagine seeing these special coffees sold at Starbucks for $5 a pop. Call them prison cappuccinos. I tell Tucker my idea, and he says that if it were to bear his stamp, he would not want it offered with soy. I'm tired of hearing everyone talk about how they're switching from milk to soy, he says. Why doesn't anyone talk about switching from milk to whiskey? Soon Tucker will bring his trademark iconoclasm to the Greek restaurant we eat at. And as usual, he will eat a souvlaki by alternating his bites from one end to the other end until he is left with his final middle bite. Tucker's souvlaki theory is similar to Jean-Luc Godard's film theory. Tucker believes in a beginning, middle, and end, just not in that order. Saturday. At the copy store, I ask the woman at the cash if she has plans for the nice weather. She says she isn't getting any time off. But what I've discovered lately, she says, is that if I squint my eyes a certain way when I stare out the window, the white building across the street starts to look like the ocean. And for now, that has to be enough. Maybe one day I'll show up and stand across the street in a bathing suit, carrying a surfboard, I say, just to help the fantasy. I'll be watching for you, she says. I think this is probably the first time I've ever offered my presence in a bathing suit as an aid to anybody's fantasy life. Tuesday. Tucker and I are driving to a pizza restaurant we haven't been to in over 15 years. Tucker is lonesome for the all-dressed pizza of our youth and thinks it might be the perfect bomb for his spirit. Driving through our old neighborhood, we pass a church that's now a condo. Everything's becoming a condo, Tucker says. If you throw your baseball cap out the window and come back in a year, someone will be charging condo fees for it. In the novel The Moviegoer, Walker Percy writes of how we can become blind to the small things that compose our everyday life. He writes, A man can look at this little pile on his bureau for 30 years and never once see it. It is as invisible as his own hand. I do not want the things closest to me to turn invisible, and so lately I've been making an effort to notice the little details of the life around me. In this case, the life around me is the inside of Tucker's car. On the seats there are paperback novels, an empty box of chocolate-covered cherries, and tickets to a Montreal Expos game from 2002. To become blind to these things is to somehow lose life, and from there, how can ennui be far behind? We listen to a tape of old punk music and drive along in silence. I'm not sure whether it is a wistful silence or just a hungry silence. I always wanted to have a mohawk, Tucker says, and now it's too late. How can you have a mohawk with a bald spot? There are mohawks and faux hawks, I say. This could be a mo-spot. We go back to driving in silence. Our lives are over, Tucker finally says, but at least we have pizza. And as we cruise into the afterlife, pizza will have to be enough. 
If I may be so bold, it wouldn't be wrong to say that lately you've been feeling a little blue. Uh, that's one color, yeah, a little. You know, with all of this, like, self-spite and, you know, wanting to spit in your own coffee and all of that stuff. Yeah, it's become a, it's become a morning ritual, part of the day. Well, here, here's, here's what I think. I think that sometimes when one is feeling down, it might be because they've sort of become oblivious to their immediate surroundings. Okay, I'll buy that. And, and I think with that comes maybe a kind of blaséness about the outside world, and I think it kind of snowballs. Okay, you're on to something. Where, where, where are we going with this? Well, well what I was going to say is that, um, like, you know uh, when I stopped by today to your place to have some coffee in yeah. the morning? Yeah. Did, did you notice I was doing some note-taking as I was looking around? Yeah. Why? What I was actually doing was I was recording certain details about your surroundings that maybe you're not even aware of. <laughs> and and I wanted and I wanted to test you on them. <laughs> Why do you find that so funny? I mean, coming from someone who wears the same clothes four days in a row and stuff like uh, that, it's, it's funny that you're you're making details about my surroundings. Yeah. But okay, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm playing along. Go ahead, all right. go ahead. Now, now here, just as an exercise, okay, uh, what I've done is, and I'm going to quiz you on this stuff, all right? I've, I've sort of taken note of things that I'm sure you look at hundreds of times a day, but okay. probably don't notice. Okay, okay. well, okay. go ahead. We're going we're gonna to start with something easy. Uh, okay, I appreciate that. What is the color of your coffee table? Um, I'll be right back. You don't know the color of your... This is supposed to be... It only gets harder from here. Um, it's all... It's, it's black. It's black. It's black. Very good. Okay, now, you live across the street from a school. Yes. And there is a big mural on the wall facing your house. You're kidding me. I take it you've never noticed. That there was a mural? How will you notice, like, when, when beauty is staring you right in the face if you're not opening your eyes I, to, to, to I see it? I recognize beauty. I, I you know... If it's on a school, I'm going to have to assume it's, like, children playing or something, or, like, children playing frisbee, a mural of that. It's a house on a hill. Does that ring a bell? Um, yeah, of course it rings a bell. All right. What kind of tree is directly outside your door on your lawn? <laughs> you want me to name, like, like the genus of tree this, this, this tree is? Yeah. I, I know there's a tree. It's wood, and there's leaves on it, and it droops down. Okay, I'll give you a point for that. I'll give you a point for that. All right, three to two. All right, um, what else have we got here? Um, All right, outside your living room, on the wall, there is a coat hook. Right. There's actually no hooks on it, but there's, like, the wood where the hooks used to be. Yeah. What color is that wood? Of um, the of the coat hook, you noticed this stuff. I did. I took note of it. I've been living here for a year. I don't even. I didn't even like. I've been throwing my coat on the floor. But you haven't answered. Um, I'll I'll say red. It is red, actually. You're kidding me. No, I'm not. Did you you knew that? You didn't look up anything. I'm not sure of. I'm just gonna say red. Okay, in your bathroom. I have a bathroom. What does it say on your bathtub stopper? Who who am I talking to? Go ahead and answer the question. I have no clue. You got to open your eyes. You should know this stuff. I barely knew the color of my coffee table. You want me to tell you the, the name of my bathtub stopper? Okay, fine. Let's try something else. All right. Um, what is the brand name on your shower nozzle? Can we get out of my bathroom? Okay, fine. This, let's, this let's la- get okay, out of the okay. bathroom and stuff. All right, so what have we learned? What have we learned from, from all of this? Uh, I've learned that you have a duller life than I do. And actually, that's kind of reassuring. So, um, thank you. I just think it's, it's kind of interesting to note how much you may be overlooking. 
You know what I, I mean about about sort of your your own little universe. No, I see what you're getting at and stuff. And Do you? As soon as I hang up the phone, I'm I'm gonna go take a walk outside. I think. Are you? Um, I'll walk around. I'll walk around the school. I'll look at the trees. Ask people the names of these trees. Uh huh. I'll walk with my head up. You know, I'll walk with my head up. Thanks to you. Well, I mean, you know, uh, just doing what I can. Your unfletchable wisdom is—it's had its magical effect on me. So I'm gonna hang up my uh, red phone, and uh, I'm gonna go outside. I'm probably just going to head over around the corner to your place. What, Maybe what, hang out in your bathroom for a little bit, see what's going on in there. What are you talking about? Hang on, I'm just going to grab my pad and pen here. Okay, I don't want you in my place, okay? You told me I should get out of my, my little world, so I'm No, gonna, I'm not, I mean, I'm just saying observe your little world. Maybe take world. a walk or something is a good idea. Which keys at this one? The keys that you have are for an emergency. It is an emergency. I think you're down. I want to ask you some questions tomorrow morning. All right, morning. look, let me clean up the place first, Do all right? Fridge, I don't want you in my I'm fridge. I'm starving. What do you have in your fridge? The pop question. Stay away from Friday. After spending an hour eating breadsticks and Melba toast over the sink while reading grocery circulars, I come to the conclusion that my life, too, has lately become more than a little stagnant. Sure, I'm quick to try and offer curatives for the lives of others, but I haven't been very good at healing my own life. To remedy the situation, I decide to set off by overnight bus to New York to visit my friend Star Lee. I figure that getting out of the city will be a good change of pace. On the phone, Starley encourages my visit, telling me how she can share with me her secrets for combating the blues. She explains how when she feels herself begin to languish, she goes to a clothing store, picks out a pile of clothes, and spends an hour in the changing room, trying on different outfits. Not even things she'd ever consider buying or wearing in public. It makes me feel a sense of possibility, she says. Like the way booze does, but cheaper. Starley tells me that when I get there, she'll take me on a make-believe shopping spree. It'll be just like Pretty Woman, she says, but with flannel and corduroys. Saturday. I arrive at Starley's early in the morning, and promptly, I fall asleep. At 9 a.m., there's a knock at the door. I roll off the couch and answer it. It's Ruby, Starley's new 15-year-old intern. Why in God's name do you have an intern, I ask Starley when we're alone in the other room. I have a lot to impart, she says. Starley is working on a self-help book called It Is Your Fault, and Ruby has been booking appointments with psychics, behaviorists, and self-professed shamans for Starley's research all week. She carries around a dog-eared paperback copy of The Bell Jar and a notebook she uses to write down the little bits of wisdom that Starley imparts. Choose your college based on where the cutest boys are, she says, and Ruby takes furious notes. I find myself trying to come up with a couple wise things to say myself in the hope of making it into Ruby's notebook. When buying cottage cheese, I say, always reach to the very back of the shelf. Ruby nods politely, the notebook closed on her lap. We all sit around the kitchen table, surrounded by last night's beer bottles, eating pretzels for breakfast, while Starley dispenses life lessons. Read Joan Didion, she says. Don't let the skinny girls depress you. Eventually, Starley's wisdoms will run dry, at which point she will have Ruby walk her dog and defrost her freezer. When Ruby leaves the room, I reach for her notebook. Flipping it open, I write, The line between interning and being kidnapped can sometimes be a blurry one. Ruby lives in California and has only been spending the summer in New York. I worry that when Ruby returns home, Starley will need to hire a butler, secretary, and nanny to pick up the slack. So how, how long has it been since Ruby's gone home to California? Um, it's been about a month. 
And so how are you how are you managing intern less? I mean, to be honest, I'm not doing so well. Before I got an intern, I, I was one of those people who thought, what, what would I do with an intern if I had them? I yeah. thought it was silly. I didn't think I needed an intern, and now I can't. I don't understand how I managed without her. That's really crazy. Consi- I mean, considering you don't even, you don't have an office. I mean, she was just interning, you know, in your apartment. In my apartment, yeah. In your small apartment. She didn't find it small. She found it lovely. No, I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just she saying, She said you know, if she grew up and could have it in my apartment, that was all she would ask, I could ask for. Like, the thing that amazes me is that you actually had the, the chutzpah to wake up one morning and say, you know what, I need an intern. Yeah. I mean, that, that's audacious. And I'd not do any intern. I had my intern flown in from the West Coast, flown in from L.A. Right. Like, I shipped my intern over. You had a huge impact on her, it seems. Do you, I, you think so? I hope so. I think so. I mean, she just seemed to totally, like... Uh, Blossom under my tutelage. I mean, and it got to the point where it... It sort of felt like the mentor had become the mentee. It got to that point pretty fast, actually, like probably yeah. by day two. I mean, pretty early on, Ruby began to realize that her, her role was less about making appointments for me and walking my dog, and although I still had her do those things, of course, too. But no shame. It's yeah, incredible. More, <laughs> more about her, you know, propping me up and making me feel okay about things. And she would, I would, I would, be, in, I would be in the living room, office number two, as we called it, while she would be in the kitchen office number one, and I would see her, like, you know, scribbling on her little pink stationery with her little purple pens, Mm -hmm. and I'd wonder what she was doing, and then she'd leave, and I'd see she'd left a note for me on the paper telling me to, like, not let my spirits get me down, that the next day would be a lovely day. She saw great things in my future. It's wonderful. Have you got? Have you guys been in touch since she since she left back home? She sent me a care package. We had a You're very kidding. You no, know, yeah, she sent me a care pack, a big one too, like a huge envelope full of mixed CDs. Oh my god! I mean, I like I said, I do feel kind of uh, shaky with her gone. What? And we how, had a very hard goodbye. What happened? Because she she left early. It was like it was like she called me, and I thought I had another week with her, but it turned out she was leaving the next day. And oh. she called me, and it was raining that day, and she showed up at my door sopping wet. Mm. And then I gave her a tote bag from my neighborhood as a going-away present, mm-hmm. and she just thought it was so lovely. She really liked to say the word lovely, and she showered me with praise, which is why. Well, giving Ruby presents wasn't just about giving her the present. It was so I could also get the, the praise. Well, that's very honest of you to admit to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, are, are you going to write about her in your book? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I was having problems writing my book. Yeah. Like total writer's block. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like Ruby came into my life and it like unwedged the block. Well, she's like your muse. She She's a good one. She looks like a muse too, don't you think? I don't know what a muse With, should look like. Well, she wears a lot of things around her head. That's she like true. has that Laurels, bridal veil yeah. that she wears mm-hmm. that she wrapped around her head. She carries like a straw bag, carpet mm-hmm. bag almost. <laughs> She's like the kid that you wished that you were and the kid that you wished you had without mm. feeling anything com- complicated about it or conflicted. Wow. To coin a Ruby phrase, mm-hmm. she's lovely. Well, well, why don't we just get her up on the line right now? I'll conference her in. You say hi. Oh, and now I'm all nervous. Why? What if she's forgotten about me? How can anyone forget you? What if my number you? shows up and she just doesn't even pick it up? Oh, you're being ridiculous. Let's uh, let's call her up. Okay. Hang on a second. Hello, Ruby. Oh my God, Starley, do you remember me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally do. I totally do. Um, Ruby? Yes? 
<laughs> this is Star Lisa, o- older gentleman friend, uh, Jonathan. Oh, hey. H- hi, how are you? Good, I'm fine. <laughs> I was stuck doing um, history homework, actually, so you totally, totally saved me. We, we're making history now. You are making history now. Not me, we. We, Ruby. We. I like to think we. that Ruby's making history every day. I told her. I said, Ruby, every day try to make history at least once. How did you make history today? I made history today because I was the only person in um, thrift store history that, like, bought five pounds of clothes <laughs> entirely from the costume section. You know what you need? You need your own intern <laughs> to help you with this stuff. Like, you didn't carry I those bags by yourself home, did you? You had an intern do it. No, yeah, I actually had my little cousin <laughs> do it for me. That's I mean, good. That That's great. another thing I like yeah. to think I taught you. Always have an intern. Exactly. Exactly. So, Ruby, since you've been back, how have you been, have you been applying my wisdom? In fact, I have. Um, I've been trying to explain to, you know, friends and family why I want to go to certain colleges. And I say, like, you know, because it's a great place, when I really want to say because, you know, cute guys go there. (laughs) Oh, also, um, you told me to love dogs more. Mm -hmm. That was one of your rules. And I'm totally, I'm surrounded by dogs. I'm totally loving dogs. (laughs) She's living in a kennel now (laughs) because of you. (laughs) It's lovely. I'm enjoying it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel like you're a different person from when you, before the, but the pre-intern Ruby oh, is yeah, post for sure, for sure. I think I just have, like, more patience, I guess. After putting I'm up just, with me. I'm able to be, no, I'm able to be Look quiet, how quick she is to, like, to, really to save your ego. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind him, Ruby. Um, you, know, you know that song, Ruby? Um, I think it's by Bette Midler, um, where, she, where, where the refrain <laughs> is, You are the wind beneath my wings. Yes, I do know that song. Actually. In your relationship, who who's <laughs> the wind beneath whose wings? Um, Ruby, you are definitely the wind beneath my. No, wings. I don't think so. I definitely think you are the wind beneath. No, 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 no. I can list at least eight different times no. when my wings were dragging on the ground, and you oh actually. Oh my god! No. What them. about that time you took me in from the rain and fed me tea and cookies? But that was only because I needed you to dry off. Me. Thursday. Unlike Starley, I don't have an intern, and so to create a little bit of duality in my life, I've recently taken to wearing a beard some weeks and not others. Initially, it was a way to try and mix things up, and when I first grew it, acquaintances I'd run into would say encouraging things like Captain Caveman or Wolfman Goldstein. But now that I've shaved it and regrown it several times, people feel less invested in its existence and have stopped responding altogether. All along, my goal has been to yo-yo back and forth between beardedness and non-beardedness so often that eventually no one would pay any notice to what I look like. Bald, fat, bearded. None of it would linger in the onlooker's mind's eye, and eventually I would become visually fluid in the public memory. To this end, I wake up this morning and shave my two weeks' growth. Afterwards, my daughter Zuzu tells me I look younger. But when I see my friend Gregor in the evening, he tells me I look older. Your beard was patchy and youthful, he says. It made you look like a 14-year-old mid-century rabbi. Plus, it covered up your wrinkles. Though, I guess not the ones around your eyes, ears, and forehead. 
According to a copy of Film World from 1915, the secret to Fatty Arbuckle's success, what set him apart from other morbidly obese vaudevillians who could balance on telephone wires, was that he was possessed of an ability to laugh at himself. This is another in a long-growing list of reasons why I am nothing like Fatty Arbuckle. I cannot laugh at myself. Nonetheless, as Gregor jokes, I try to laugh along with him, and my face takes on the expression of someone trying to swallow a fistful of metal shavings. The way that people can learn so much personal information from looking at a face strikes me as unfair. Even a beard is not enough to cover up the truth of our inner selves. Maybe in the future, humans will wear hats that come down to the chin, with holes for the eyes. Then, no one will ever be able to see what we look like. Then, no one will ever know when we are mouthing the words, stupid, lousy Gregor, through gritted teeth. But through it all, I have to believe that Gregor does have my interests at heart, and that he has wisdoms to impart. Painful, insensitive, hurtful wisdoms. I woke up this morning, and you know what I was thinking? This was my waking thought. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Goldstein should take dance lessons. I'm a part of your waking thoughts. Not every day, just today. I'm both flattered and horrified. You probably dance like you have four left feet in a sack, right? I, you want to go to that next level in your life where you're a guy who's suave and a good dancer? Mm-hmm. The fact is, you could benefit from some dance lessons, and I'll tell you why. I'm not, I'm not... You're exactly the kind of person who watches those shows like So You Think You Can Dance, and you think you can dance. I think... You should try it sometime, wise guy. What do you think, you just get up there and start swinging your arms like a baboon? It's very hard. It's a discipline. It's an art form. You know, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think there's probably no point in my even trying to dance. Yeah, there is no point, because you don't even deserve to dance. Why don't you just I don't, dance What a still? horrible you thing. you go back to the punch bowl and get me some punch while I keep dancing? Because you're clumsy as an ox. What? Like, you know what I mean? Like, every day it's going to be something new. Today it's I can't dance. Tomorrow it's going to be that I can't sing. The day after that, what's it going to be? You know what I mean? Like, it's always just going to be something. Wait, I can tell you what it's going to be the day after that. You can't take constructive criticism from your friends. You ever think of that one? What's the key word in constructive criticism? What are you constructing right now? I'm constructing a rabbit hatch out of a pile of lumber. You just... my friend, are a pile of lumber. Can I ask you something? Let's just say, for argument's sake, that I'm a bad dancer. That would not be for argument's sake, because we wouldn't be having an argument if you just said that, because we'd be agreeing. But go on. Can one really say that there are any bad dancers? I mean, if... You dance like you're holding your pants up with your hands. Mm -hmm. You probably stick your tongue out three quarters of an inch, like you're trying to balance yourself with your tongue. Mm -hmm. Tell me, what... What's, I know you have your signature moves that you learn somewhere. What do you do when you get on the dance floor? When I'm you, dancing? Your, your top two moves that you do. Do the chug-a-lug. What's the chug-a-lug? The robots. What do you do? I, I'm fond of the robots. Sometimes I stir the pot a little bit, shuffle from foot to foot a little bit, throw in some kicks. and. That sounds really good. I, I don't know why I would have criticized you. If you shuffle from foot to foot and throw in some kicks, that sounds great. I mean, normally I do that when I find there's a scorpion in my shoe after I've laced it up, but you call it dancing. Teach his own. Do you know, honestly, insulting a man for his dancing is, I think, one of the lowest things you could do. Okay, let's just get back to the realm of the hypothetical. Let's just say you pick your favorite dance. Even okay. if you can't do it well, which you can't. What, what kind of dance do you like? You ever study any African dance? I've never studied any dance. Good, because that would be embarrassing for you and the whole continent of Africa. But how about this one? You ever see the WKRP? where Herb Tarlick teaches the chickens to dance? No. Well, on the show, he teaches chickens to dance, little baby chickens. Chick. Mm-hmm. And how does he do this? Well, everyone's amazed. How did you train them? It's really hard to teach a chicken to dance, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Turns out he was putting them on a hot plate, and they were just hopping around to stay, you know, keep their... Oh, I see. Burning. So you intend to set my feet on fire. 
You know, you always jump to the absurdist conclusion. I'm well, just I, talking about you being barefoot on a hot plate. There would be no fire involved. Who learns how to dance like that? Yeah, you know how Gary Coleman learned to dance? They wrapped him up in duct tape in an office chair and pushed him down an open elevator shaft. True story. This isn't dance what you're talking about. I wish you respected me more. Respect you. I will make you dance, sir. By God, I will make you dance. If I have to bring my nail gun and shoot nails at you, I will make you dance. You see... You are going to dance if I have to feed you rhubarb tips, which, by the way, are deadly poisonous. But you are going to dance. You you don't want to see me dance. You want to see me die. It's going to be a training process. And if I have to hold your head underwater for a half an hour... Friday. I'm going to do it to make you dance. My daughter Zuzu is one of the best dancers I know. And I ask her if becoming an okay dancer is something that can be taught. For Zuzu, it's like the gauntlet has been thrown. She turns on the computer and shows me a video on YouTube that explains how to do something called the Soldier Boy dance. I have never heard of Soldier Boy or his dance, but the video has almost 40 million hits, so I figure it's time I started learning. Suzu gets up and has me stand right beside her. She performs the moves on the screen, looking like a rubber band snapping into place. I perform the moves looking like I'm trying to catch a tossed glass of tomato juice. But somewhere along the line, as Zuzu spurs me on, I allow myself to be spurred on. And before I know it, I'm really dancing, stirring the pot, shuffling my feet, even throwing in a couple kung fu kicks here and there. If your heart is filled with dance, then you dance. And no matter how clumsy, leaden-footed, or even stupid you might look, you dance. And as the dishes in the pantry rattle, and the whole room becomes filled with music and Zuzu's laughter, I just try and do the best that I can. On Wiretap today, you heard John Tucker, Starley Kine, Ruby McAllister, and Gregor Ehrlich. Wiretap is produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Mira Birdwintonic and Carolyn Warren. Production assistance from Crystal Duhame. Reach us to our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap, where you can hear recent audio clips from the show.